Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with your podcast, Welcome Toast. Winston Churchill said, I must point out that my sacred rule of life is the smoking of cigars and also the drinking of alcohol before, after, and if need be, during all meals and in the intervals between them. Listen to our show in small bites or enjoy the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We have a grilling guy on this show. We're going to get you so excited about grilling beef tenderloin, even doing a pineapple upside down cake on the grill. We're going to do beer canned chicken. Yes, it's a little Father's Day centric, although we're also aware that more and more women are grilling, grilling, grilling. So no matter what your gender is, anything in between, (laughs) we would love to have you stay tuned for that. We have the cookbook Weber's Greatest Hits, Weber Grill. Mm -hmm. Jamie Perviance is our guest for that. We have two different wines to tell you about, and they are so unusual for a couple of different reasons. I'm with my treasured food buddies. These are people who make me want to get up in the morning. I'm not kidding. Senior contributors Chris Brosberry, Alex Province, and Mark Raymond. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. Robin hey, Doyen Aiken is our senior producer, often joins us on the show. Hey, Robin. Hello. I wanted to start with this and jump in here if you do something like this. If you're grilling burgers, there was something that I saw in, I think it was Food Network magazine, about all the kinds of toppings that you could put on a, a burger. Yum. So you all do this. You yeah. all have your favorites. Mm-hmm. So some people will buy, I don't know who buys barbecue sauce and dumps it on. That's good. Or, I, uh, bacon. I have a couple different barbecue sauces. I love bacon, bacon. on it. I do what oh, you do. Yeah. Huge chunk of cheddar cheese yeah. like mm-hmm. that leaves teeth marks. Yeah. <laughs> it's thick as the burger. Yeah. Right? My burgers have chimichurri mixed into the mix already, and then I put a big chunk of provolone oh, on top. And chimichurri, for and those chi- who don't know. Chimichurri is parsley, garlic, olive oil, salt and pepper. Mm, Pureed up all Yum. Yeah. Nice that little sauce. Is. You mix that right into the burger meat, and then is you let it a, sit for a little while. Is that an Argentinian thing? Because your wife No, is I don't think so. No. I think it's something that we invented here. Yeah, Jimmy Cherry goes with everything, so why not put in our burgers? All yeah. right. Yeah. So this is something I loved because I'm a Buffalo wing fan. Oh. So Food Network magazine did a whole thing of burger toppings, and I love that they did a buffalo butter. Ooh. Oh, right, Chris? Buffalo so butter. So this is, you get the butter room yeah. temperature, yeah. and it's blue cheese in there with uh-huh. the butter, you know, softened. Yeah. And then you add a buffalo-style hot sauce. Yeah, like Chris Frank's. and I Frank's are, Frank's hot sauce. We are yeah. Frank's yeah. people. The original. Chop celery if oh, you want. Oh, totally. You know, I don't need to do that, but some yeah. people will do that. But if you like your that. dipping your celery sticks in that Oh, what a clever yeah. idea. Put that on your burger bun. Or on the burger top itself and let it melt in and then boom goes the roll. Yeah. Honestly. I can do that. I can totally totally do that. that. Buffalo burger. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, I'm hungry again. (laughs) (laughs) I might make that for this weekend. Any restaurant discoveries? I mean, soon we have a restaurant from West Hartford coming on the show. Chris? I went to Arethusa again, La Tavola and Bannon. Oh, that's good. The guys who do Arethusa the Farm Mm -hmm. in uh, Litchfield County have opened a restaurant. It's been Mm -hmm. open for some time now. Mm -hmm. They have a home in Italy, and they are so into bringing real Italian cooking Connecticut. Most gracious guys I've ever met. Really? I met him when I was so a young lovely. boy working at an antique shop in Litchfield. And I tell you what, this restaurant is just so much fun. La Tavola. Just, just one thing. It's strawberry rhubarb tart that they do. Their pastry Ooh. chef is a genius. It's this little tart with coconut ice cream on top. Knock your socks off. Oh, like, wow. So go there just for that little strawberry rhubarb tart, if nothing else. And eat dinner, oh, too. Yeah, and eat dinner, too. But <laughs> let me tell you, it's just, it's a, you know what it is? And it's a wellness. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a welcoming place. That's okay. why I like it so much. Okay, so now I have a discovery. And I wish I could tell you I'd been there, but I haven't yet. But I am so excited about this. I spoke to the Kellys, the Kelly family, in Canterbury, Connecticut. And they looked at each other and they said, oh, no, don't ruin this place. (laughs) No, please. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Seriously. But in Willimantic, Connecticut, there is a little-known restaurant called Tacos La Rosa. Mm, Anybody? And this place, they said, because they've spent so much time in Mexico, Mexico. They said, this is so like Mexico, they cannot believe it. So we're talking about Tacos La Rosa in Willimantic, Connecticut. If you're in the area, you want to take a road trip, I cannot wait to try this. Kelly's, I apologize to you right now. (laughs) And you'll see us there soon. Thank you. (laughs) All of us. I've got a good one. Uh, Downtown Hartford in the beautiful Goodwin Hotel. Mm. has been beautifully yeah, restored. restored. It is so gorgeous. gorgeous. Hotel. A French restaurant called the Harlan Brasserie yeah. opened up. H-A-R-L-A-N? Correct. And it has a sidebar with this electric blue coloring. It's so beautiful and decadent on the inside. You can have martinis as people pass by. Okay. It is such a gem to have this in Hartford. Really, really, really cool. Like the good I've one came about. out great if you haven't driven by it. It is oh, beautiful. They have some is gorgeous it? rooms. Yeah, gorgeous. I haven't seen yeah, it. Gorgeous, gorgeous. When it, the hotel just reopened because I don't know how long wow. it was closed and under renovation. Yeah. It was how a while. How fun. Did you try food? Yeah, or? we sure did. Been there twice now. Harlan and, Brasserie. And? Loved it. Had a I mean, great time. I know you love the atmosphere but the food was really good yeah we always sit at the bar and it's just brasserie style french food now you're talking hotel food because i did an event for uh carla squatrito at marriott downtown oh, at the yeah. convention center oh yeah and i went into el bar inside which is really fun at night by the way and I said to them, what thing, if you took off the menu, people would kill you year-round? And they said, you're not going to believe it. Winter and summer, bolo. And I'm like, bolo? Bolognese? Yes. Yeah. They said, trade word for bolognese. Yeah. And I said, seriously? And they said, yeah, we're sending you out some. Yeah. And so out came Chef's Bolognese at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Hartford. And it was delicious. Got to try. I'm a sucker for bolo. <laughs> Okay, so I just wanted to do a shout out to them too. Can we do some wines? Let's because have some wines. we've got barbecue <laughs> stuff coming up. We've got all mm-hmm. kinds of things for you. We've got a champion oyster shucker who's going to tell you how you can shuck oysters at home with a little tiny trick. He's from the Oyster Club in Mystic. 
So we're going to get into all that. We've got two wines to tell you about that are pretty unusual. This one would be great with grilled food on Father's Day. Let me pour this into a glass and let's talk. Mark, this is. Tell us about this. You discovered this. Yeah, so this is Finca El Origin from the Uco Valley in Argentina. This is their Cabernet Sauvignon Reserva. A great value at $12 a bottle. And what I love Mm. about it is it's got complexity, it's got strength, but yet it's so elegant. It's got beautiful fruit notes of Mm. dark berries and plum, yet the tannins Mm. are just super soft. You know what? I want this with Mm. grilled food. In fact, we just we had it it? with Chris's um, steak just before the show, and it was really good. Just by itself, it's a sipping wine. You can have fun with this. Nice and elegant. We have a picture of the label on the website. We always say call ahead because these poor wine stores can't stock everything. A good wine store will have this from the distributor within 24 hours. Maybe some people have this. $12 a bottle. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon and Finca El Origen. Finca is kind of farm, Alex. Like a farmhouse in the countryside. Okay, El Origen. From the original land. Key question here, $12 a bottle, people can fool around with wine. As we all know in the show, we hate that in terms of crazy additives Mm -hmm. and dumping sugar into wine. This is all natural, hand harvested. They control it from the grape all the way to the cellars, Mm. and they put it in the bottle. There's nothing added. There's no preservatives. This is from Mendoza? This is from Mendoza, Argentina. Okay. So in Argentina, I'm telling you, they know beef. Oh, Do yeah. they know grilled food? Oh, yeah. This is what they do. They are some of the grill masters of the world. They really are. So it makes sense their wine's going to reflect that and go well with beef. Absolutely. You know, for if you're doing <laughs> right? grilling for Father's Day or you're doing yeah. grilling for whatever reason, wow, what an affordable wine, around $12 a bottle. Really good discovery, Mark. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Really, thank you. And really so good. at our website, foodschmooze.org. Before we go to the next wine, which is one of the most unusual discoveries we've had on the show, thanks to Chris Prosperi, I want to tell you about something, a three-ingredient espresso ice cream without a machine. Really? Huh. Okay. Do tell. Here's how you do it. You mix instant espresso with sweetened condensed milk and heavy cream, and you pop it in the freezer, and you have soft-serve ice cream. Wow. You might think I'm kidding. I do. So I think wait, you're kidding. how long in the freezer? Wait, what? Like you take it out before it freezes? I knew you would doubt me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doubting you. you. I'm just, I just want to wait, eat do it. do that again. What? <laughs> so why doesn't it freeze? <laughs> there is no ice cream maker necessary. There are no yeah. additives Nothing. if you want to have like pure ice cream and you don't... You could add a little like crushed nuts Chocolate on the top. Chips. You oh, could yeah. do tr- you could do anything you want. Like okay, crushed, crushed yeah. espresso so here's beans in there. How it works? I'm going to okay, do it for you work? again. Don't have okay. before you go to bed. <laughs> you mix together instant espresso, sure. and I give okay. the directions on the site. Yep. The powdered okay. stuff. Yeah. All right. Yes, the powdered stuff. But that's good. And sweetened and condensed milk. milk. <gasps> we tell you how much uh, on the site foodschmooze.org, and then you mix in the heavy cream. Mm-hmm. And that goes in the freezer, and it freezes, and it becomes soft-serve ice cream. Is this wow. like one of the great summer things to yeah. get food? Like? I'd yeah. eat it myself with a spoon out of the bowl of ice cream. <laughs> out of the freezer. I understand. I'm crazy the, about yeah, it. The, the can sweet I, and condensed can I give milk credit? Can solid. I give credit? Yeah. Let me give credit. Is that credit. what it is? Yeah. I was Genius. looking around yeah. on the internet to see if there was a way I could make ice cream without an ice cream maker. <laughs> 
and it was on BuzzFeed. But I you, want to give him credit. No, you did it again with the sweetened condensed milk because remember your last tip yeah. that I'm still blown away by is to make the caramel sauce. You just take that can and put it in a pot of boiling water yeah. and boom, you oh, got yeah. caramel sauce. You could sauce use that for, for that. To pour it over own. the top. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay. Two great recipes All from right. sweet and condensed here, milk. Here, as promised, this is something Solid Chris Prosperi found. If there is a wine that is so incredible with... Yeah, right? <laughs> crunchy Cheetos. Oh. Or, uh, here's what I'm saying about this wine. If Port, Zinfandel, and Bourbon had a baby, this is the wine they would make together. Yeah. This is the child, okay? <laughs> yeah. And we discovered, I'll bring my, one of my favorite snacks. Crunchy Cheetos. Cheetos. Crunchy, crunchy, crunchy. Are you going to pass those Cheetos? Chris, this it's is genius. Cooper and Thief. This yeah. is on our website, foodschmooze.org, with a picture and everything. It's a red wine blend. Yeah. Chris, lay it on us. Yeah, and I just, you know, I was at a dinner, and they were serving this with a short rib, and I was blown away because it's not a regular wine. It's a blend of Merlot, Syrah, Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, Cabernet, it's got all this blend in it, and then it's aged in old bourbon barrels. It's not for everyone. It well, gets panned on the internet by wine experts, but yeah. I'm telling you, it has you something. Love it, and I, I think love it's it, really and it's inter- fun. I'm about to have my um, Cheetos, <laughs> crunchy Cheetos. If you don't uh-huh. pass those Cheetos, I'm just oh, With it, and it's mm. just like, so you can have a bag of mm. Cheetos with a really interesting wine, and there you go. Sometimes okay. it can just be that fun, can't it? It can mm-hmm. be. You know what? That's a that cheetos. is so awesome. <laughs> so Cooper and Thief, it's like selling out like crazy because yeah. there's something going on with wine that is now being aged in these bourbon, scotch, yeah, whiskey. in these whiskey mm. barrels mm-hmm. that add something. Yeah. And, you know, this one I say poured and... Um, we're Back passing the cheetos. We're passing cheetos. the cheetos around. We are this, actually this sitting in the studio. This one is dark and jammy. With orange hands. With high vanilla. Yeah, high okay? vanilla because of the So some, mm-hmm. some people, and that's American mm-hmm. barrels, so they're doing... Bourbon barrels. Bourbon barrels. Bourbon yeah, barrels. So clearly. it's a thing that's happening, and people so are loving one. it. But, try one. So yeah. I would say this is a red wine blend they from Cooper and well. Thief. They have a cab, which is the one I want to try next, mm-hmm. because I have a feeling it's going to be a little less jammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I would pair this with are certain cheeses. Mm. (gasps) Gorgonzola. Um, Like a Gorgonzola would be awesome. Yes. Awesome. Pair this with its opposite, which works in wine, going Mm -hmm. totally smoky. Ribs on the grill mm-hmm. against this. It's just sometimes you get something in your mouth and you go, wow, what was that? And that's what happened here. It was a red wine in my glass, but when I tasted it, I wasn't drinking a normal, classically made red wine. And sometimes, to me, that's refreshing. So for me, this wine would make the most astonishing sangria. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's a good wow. idea. Totally. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't have to add yeah. anything to it. Yeah. I mean, Just you actually yeah. could add a little add bourbon. Some apples, the citrus, fruit. Yeah. lime. Because this yeah. is not, this is about... Thirty can be thirty dollars yeah, a like bottle. Like twenty five okay. to thirty dollars. Yeah. Don't add so, any more sugar to it. But if you no no yeah, yeah, no. no more. But if you're doing ribs on the grill, mm-hmm. wow, this is interesting. As is yours, Mark. So mm-hmm. both of you, thank you so much. On our website, foodschmooze.org. Alex, you really think you know you being Spanish, 
you really think that this well, could work as a... It almost tastes like port. It's so fruity and rich, and you added, you know, it's almost like instant sangria. Pour it into a pitcher, throw in some chopped fruit, yeah. add a little soda water. Mm-hmm. Can I do a shout out to Cigna Insurance Company? Oh, yeah. Because they have, what would we say, bankrolled the Keeney Park Food Sustainability Program in Hartford, Connecticut, And I think that is so amazing to invest in cities like this, especially Hartford, the city I grew up in. It's an amazing place. And thank you, Cigna, for doing this. Oh, my gosh. So good. And we see other companies doing this throughout Hartford. Millions of dollars coming in to pitch in because Hartford's a small city Mm -hmm. and could become an incredible destination as people dive in and make it something. Look at the history. This is true for Bridgeport, too. All right? So so our cities that have both wealth and poverty, dive in, people, because we can make these cities incredible. For everybody. For everybody across yeah. the spectrum. That's what this sustainability program is all about. So thank you, Cigna, and all these companies that have invested in our cities, in our main region. Really, so, so appreciated. Oysters and grilling, too, coming up. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They are many. And I'm sad to say there's talk of cutting their benefits further. I don't even know what to say. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Oh, yes, they did. This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life. Coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, that meets the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. To hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. So many people write to us and say, we plan our adventures, we plan our shopping trips, we get in the car just as the show is starting, and then off they go to the things that we talk about, or it gives them some kind of idea based on a recipe, and so I love that. Podcasts, meaning copies of the show, so you can listen on your schedule. All of our curated recommendations, recipes, all that stuff is at foodschmooze.org. Here's what we have coming for you right now. I'm really excited about this because oysters, as much as I have tried, as long as this show Mm -hmm. has been on the air, right, you folks, I have tried to be good at chucking oysters 
And I'm telling you, I am just terrible at it. <laughs> I understand the theory where the muscle is. Right, Chris? Uh, I'm with you. I know how to do it. I don't like doing it. I find it <laughs> messy. I get the juice all over me. Slightly dangerous. I get, I get shell pieces all over the kitchen. It can be dangerous. It's, the next day, I still have the smell in my house because I got juice underneath something or in a drawer. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. I think all of us on the show love oysters. Oh, oh without a doubt. So Love we go we go to people who know what they're uh-huh. doing. And oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the people who really knows what he's doing is John Bertino. He lives in Westerly, Rhode Island, but he is oyster man at the Oyster Club in Mystic, Connecticut. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does so many oysters, it's just ridiculous. When an oyster comes out, at your plate, this man wants to make sure he will tell other people filling in or helping, no, right, yeah. Alex? This oyster is not it's going to artist. somebody's plate. He wants it to be artistic when it arrives at your plate. This is John Bertino. Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party again. Thank you very much, Faith. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'm going to ask you right off the bat to make sure that people who are like all of us can use a trick if they cannot get the knife into the oyster. There's a trick? There is a trick. And that is, somebody told me a long time ago, used to be an oyster woman on the Cape. She said, pop them in the freezer for a couple minutes. The oyster shell will slightly open. You can slip your knife right in and cut that piece of muscle and then bingo, bango. Oh, my God. Why didn't you tell me that? I would have done that all along. (laughs) Well, because we go out to get it. Yeah, I do. You know, we go to John. So, so John, is it true? You would be putting me out of business. Yeah, I'm never going to do that. No, no. Never going to do that. Do you think that I have the kinds of oysters that you have, the access, the perfect icing, the the, 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 Mm. the arrangement? But no. So, the bar to so sit but at. John, do you <laughs> agree? Is that possible? One to two minutes in the freezer? Yeah, you can do that. And what it relaxes the, the oyster itself and just makes flipping the knife into the uh, back of the oyster so much easier. It really doesn't take that much muscle or pressure. There's a little sweet spot there, and it just makes it real easy to pop open. And then you just bring the knife across cut that muscle, and then you do the undercut, and there you go. The undercut? I mean, I what, what do you mean by the undercut? The, uh, the oyster has two muscles, one on the bottom shell and one on the top shell, and they use that to open and close the oyster shell. So you have to remove those two muscles. Do you just scrape them toward you? You bring it across the shell and make sure you can see where the muscle is. It's right there in front of you. So, and uh, you just you know remove that muscle and the two muscles, and then that, that leaves the oyster loose in the shell. Yeah, so okay. Slurp it. So are are we cutting across the end of the muscle where it's attached to the shell, you know, straight across or are we scraping the attachment area? Basically, when you uh, do the top shell, you bring it across. Okay. And then when you do the bottom one, you just scrape that one muscle. Okay. Now, if we're trying oysters at home, I I love to go to people like you because the juice of the oyster is in with the oyster itself, and that's part of what gives it its power, that salinity that is so mm-hmm. of the terroir underwater. You know, I mean, right. oysters, do you find that this is true? I, I have um, this friend, Jonathan Waters, who's a, an oysterman off of Stony Creek, and he has said to me for years, there is a difference between the taste of an oyster that I dig up 12 inches from another oyster. It's what's in the the bottom soil right there in the water. Your oysters are going to take on the flavor of where they're grown. 
And you know what? A lot of people, like Steve Malinowski, he has Fisher's Island oysters. And what he does when he'll uh, try an oyster is he'll sip the liquor first and then eat the oyster. The, all the Interesting. actually in that liquor. Wow. So you drink the liquid. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so John Bertino, how do we, when we open them at home, I spill it? How do we keep the juice in the <laughs> oyster shell? How do you do that? Well, what you got to do is you got to put the oyster flat on the surface, take a rag, put it on top of it, and then pop it open and try not to uh, move the oyster. Can't tilt it. And, and then you got to do it all while it's still right there, get the top shell and the bottom shell. That's why it becomes kind of an art. How many oysters do you open I don't know. What should I ask you? In a year? The most, the most <laughs> I've opened, my busiest night, I did 1,100 in one night. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my. It wasn't that bad. You never stopped. You, do you chucked the entire night. Do you ever want to go out when you see that a customer has ordered certain oysters from certain places? Because you, if you go to a place like the Oyster Club in Mystic, Obviously, as the name suggests, they care. You know, look at John, what he's doing. They care where these oysters are from. That's the great part about being here at the Oyster Club is, you know, I get to talk to everybody at the bar. And not many places that you get to actually talk to the shucker. And Matt and I aren't very chatty, are we? Oh, you guys are awesome, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's the people that come in here that really make it what it is. It's a blast. It's like having a dinner party every night of the week, but you just don't know which ones of your friends are going to show up every night. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark Raymond. What is the most amount of oysters you've ever seen one person take in? It's funny, man. We had these two guys and a four-year-old kid come in on a Sunday afternoon they ate 170 oysters. Oh, my, oh my three goodness. Of them. That's and incredible. The, the little kid, he had never had oysters, and he was putting them down like they were nothing. I think I maxed out at 24 once. I feel really? like. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. Wow, 24 that's is a lot. lot. Yeah, that, that's a, but that's the most I've ever had. How many? They had 100 and what? 170. I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. Are watching them going, look at these guys. They're having a blast. It's like they never had an oyster before, and then they just struck gold. It sounds it sounds like they were on an adventure to introduce that child (laughs) to the art of eating oysters, right? Now they're going to pay the price, though. (laughs) Now he won't eat chicken nuggets anymore. That's right. No, no, I want oysters tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how do you describe the difference between one oyster and another? I mean, we know what that comes from, just like with grapes. But are you trying to psych out their taste, how much history they have with oysters? How do you do that? The levels of brininess, pretty much in an oyster. Some are just way saltier than others. The Fisher's Island I describe as crisp, clean, and refreshing. And when you eat it, you're like, wow, that really is crisp and clean. And it really is refreshing. Mm. Whereas the uh, the Ninigrit Nectars, which happens to be uh, like one of the best oysters out of Rhode Island from Matt Behan Oyster mm-hmm. Farm, it's a smaller, deep cup, slightly briny with a buttery, sweeter finish to it. Mm. And, you know, people are like, how do you taste that? And then they taste it like, oh, yeah, I really do taste that. It's fun to describe them to people and then watch them try them. You really can tell the difference. So one quick question. Remember a few years ago, the kind of chic oyster to eat was the boulon, which started in France, and then people in Maine started figuring out how to do this. And so you could get boulon from France, or you could get boulon from Maine. Yeah. What happened to that? Is there a new trendy oyster that people navigate toward? 
people are going to navigate towards what I tell them is really good. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, they're just going to be like, well, what do you like? And you know what? New England has absolutely the best oysters in the world, hands down. Agreed. There's nothing better like than Agreed. one of our oysters. And we have them from Noank, even. They're awesome. Those yeah. Ram Islands and the Noanks are delicious. Well, I think one of the top oysters is the uh, East Beach Blonde, which is grown in Ninigret Pond in Charlestown, Rhode Island. Wait, what and, is it called? East Beach? I've had those. They're fantastic. Yeah. East They're Beach awesome. Blonde. Yeah. Really? And They're delicious. They're one of the best. And that, between that, the Ninigret Nectar and the Fisher's Island, you can't get much better than those. Yeah. We have a personal relationship with all these farmers. When they deliver oysters, they're an hour out of the water. Yeah, wow. really. There wow. you go. There you go. That's what what, what about good. from the east end of Long Island? They've got some good oysters there. There, yeah. there are so many great oysters in this area. I mean, they're and, all great. And you know I what? Like the best time I ever had shucking was at a Grateful Dead show up in Saratoga in the parking lot. <laughs> nice place. To it, was shuck la- it was last summer at the Dead and Company show. I had the best time. There's so many people that wanted to try oysters, and it was such a blast. And what would you drink with them? I would drink either nice crisp beer or, or Pinot Grigio, I think, goes great with those oysters. That's what was in my head. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I thought right? there's a certain beer. A nice it's blonde, gotta be really blonde ale blonde or something, crisp, yeah. you know, a Pilsner. Yeah, huh. there's, a, there's a French saison. Oh, that is that would one. be kind of nice. Jacques Pepin introduced me to that beer at the Chinese restaurants, and I loved it. It has a kind of crisp quality. I love it. Yeah. Fresh. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're the best. Thank you, John <laughs> Bertino. And we're going to see you soon at the Oyster Club. I in, look forward to it. In Mystic. Thank you for doing what you do and for sharing your knowledge with us so that we can be better at understanding these and opening them at home carefully and you know i think one to two minutes in the freezer if you don't if you're not strong enough john is my memory correct did we calculate you've opened up like two million oysters yeah right around there you throw the music on you dance around and you shuck oysters and people love it i got my little dance that i do back there when i'm shucking (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna do some father's day we've got a whole big thing about grilling coming up you can grill your oysters too thank you john bertino of the oyster thank you very much for having me alex good to hear from you. hey you too have a good day Uh, okay you too bye-bye We love the local, as you can tell. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And if you sign up for the podcast, there's an archive of all the shows. And you can click on any one if there's something you wanted to remember from a particular show. Foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back with grilling. Friendly lady, she says, boys, while you're here, looking for a meal or just some oysters and beer. Pull a stool up at the end of the bar, end of a journey, taking us this far. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, sign up for our free podcast copy of the show that arrives in your inbox every week. Just go to foodschmooze.org and sign in for that. 
I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Brasberry, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province, who lives in Hartford, Mark Raymond of Weathersfield, also our wine broker on the show. Our senior producer joining us on the show so often is Robin Doyon Aiken. I'm very excited about this because I love grilling. This is for Father's Day especially because, honestly, men love to grill and feel very connected to the food arts that way. But an increasing number of women are also learning to grill and love it. I support the movement. I'll share my I'll share my grill. I think all women okay. should grill. And I'll share my grill. Yeah. Come okay. on over. We're very fortunate about this because we have Weber's greatest hits. So Ooh. the Weber grill is the most popular grill in the United States of America. And yes. I want to say personally that I think Chris, you have four? I have four. Chris has four. It is all the same. A oh. fabulous grill. So we are you what a grill you want in a grill I'm is a grill reliability. Hoarder. You really do. You mm-hmm. want reliability. Mm-hmm. You want it to function the same way. You don't want the parts to break down. So this is Jamie Purviance, and he's done this 125 recipe cookbook of Weber's greatest hits. Jamie, welcome to the Fuchmas party. Well, thank you, Faith. Good to be with you and everybody there. Yeah. Hey. Well, great, great to have you. I am a lifelong learner when it comes to grilling. Can I quote you here? You say, the temperature of your charcoal fire depends on how much charcoal you use and how long it's been burning. Here's the part that I went underlying. Two things. The coals are at their hottest when they're newly lit, and they gradually lose heat over time. So, Jamie, when the charcoals get that ashy white on them, is that them at their peak of heat? Yes. They are blazing hot at that point. They stay that way for a while, and depending upon the charcoal. The briquettes tend to last longer than lump charcoal, which actually starts out even hotter than the briquettes, but loses heat more quickly, if that makes sense. So we're talking about live fire cooking here. This is cooking that changes over time, which for some people is really exciting because they get to interact with it and they, they sort of tame the fire. You know, they take control. <laughs> I, always, I, always, yeah. I always say that this stuff that you're saying right now appeals to people who like to drive a standard. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? In control, they like all the variables. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And there's yep. a whole other crowd that likes just the convenience of pushing a button or having mm-hmm. the automatic. And actually, some people are a little of both. Yeah. Right? There are some that, if they have the time, say on the weekend, they're totally into the charcoal experience. They want to build the fire yeah. and tend it. And then, you know, on a Wednesday night, when they just want to get dinner on the table, they go right for the gas because they know it's quick. It's easy cleanup, and mm-hmm. it's so easy yeah. to control with the turn of a wrist. That's right. And, and my fourth and final Weber grill that I got was the one that's gas and charcoal. So it's charcoal with gas assist, that is and so that awesome. one rocks. It's like a hybrid. So, so awesome. I have the gas for when I want to use you know, gas. Why? I have we the charcoal for when that. I want to use charcoal. Okay. But, but wait, this is the best tip for me in the beginning of your book where you explain everything. I put a star on it because you said once you have arranged the coals on the charcoal grate, you know, so, so far we've started the fire. They're getting that ashy white, so they're super hot. 
you've arranged the coals, some over to one side, some over to the other, depending on what you're doing anyway. You know what's not on the grill yet? Your charcoal grate. Because you had to take it off to set up the coals and to do that, get that all ready. You say, now put the cooking grate in place. Place the lid on the grill. No cooking of any kind. This was a key to me. You want to wait 10 minutes with that lid down for the temperature to rise up. That's with that close, that temperature is going to get mm-hmm. screaming hot. Ooh, your yeah. grill, your grill grate is in there. So when you put whatever you put Shh. down, wow, that's 500 you degrees, you're going to get a screaming hot searing heat Love on that it. thing. You're going to get the marks. You're going to get yeah. that caramelized on the outside. This is the best tip in the whole book. Jamie, thank you for writing that. Well, you're welcome. It, it is important. And if you don't do that, you know, the results will reflect it. It would be a little bit like trying to saute in a cold pan. You know, if you mm-hmm. yeah. imagine putting a scallop down in a cold pan and, and then turning on the heat, uh, you'll probably end up with all kinds of sticking problems and the food won't cook properly. Well, you know, one of the reasons we love the flavor of grilled food is it has that sort of charred, caramelized quality like you were talking about it. And you really need to get the grate hot. Now, I should say that not every recipe calls for that screaming hot heat right from the beginning. So you may want to preheat and then actually let the temperature drop a little bit because you may want to start with a a medium heat. But in order to get to medium, you got to go to high first and clean, as you say. That's much easier at high heat. And then you just time it. Here's what I want to get to because we have a video online of how to do beef tenderloin on the grill, thanks to Chris Brasberry, who's giving that lesson. And we have this recipe, thanks to Jamie and friends, and it's how to do beef tenderloin steaks with seared mushrooms and red wine vinaigrette. Are you doing this over gas grill, charcoal, what? Either one. Whichever grill you have, uh, the results will be similar, but a little different. Obviously, with charcoal, you're going to have more of that smoky outdoor aroma. I know there's the the charcoal briquettes that are soaked with that chemical business. Um, Don't go there. Uh, everybody's, everybody's head is going, no, 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 no. But it's easy. So we don't, you know, if you do that and it works out, no judgment here, even though Jamie said that. <laughs> um, so um, we've got lump charcoal, hardwood charcoal, which is that. really Get it fantastic. anywhere. I love it. I love you. And you can get it anywhere. anywhere. It's a get it at your grocery expensive. store nowadays. Okay. So here's your instruction. You're going to take the tenderloin steaks one and a quarter inches thick. So most people, Chris, would mm-hmm. get the tenderloin and then cut it themselves into these steaks. Or you go get to your done. butcher. Yeah, or yeah. even in the supermarket, you can get them cut into steaks already. Here's the trick. You're going to brush those steaks on both sides with oil. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to season them generously on both sides with salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. But you want them to stand at room temperature for 15 minutes, 30 minutes before you're grilling because it's going to make the grilling easier. And then, you know, get your grill screaming hot. Now, here you go, Jamie. In a skillet on the stove, we're going to cook what? Bacon and onions, right? I did that last night and it smelled (laughs) so good. Yeah, that's the beginning of many great recipes, um, (laughs) bacon and onions. Yeah, because eventually we're going to grill the mushrooms, and then 
mix them with this bacon and onion mixture just to improve upon their flavor. We get the grill ready. Now we've got bacon and onions on the top of the stove. Now here's the thing. You're going to whisk in a bowl, vinegar, mustard, garlic, these mushrooms that you have done, and a little bit of this vinaigrette get mixed well together. You get the grates all set to go. So take it from there, Jamie. So now we're going to grill the mushrooms, which you can do right on the grate, but there's now a perforated pan, which I think is really good, particularly for small vegetables. Yeah, I used that for the mushrooms last night. Yeah, so Chris (laughs) Chris grilled, you know, our our chef in residence here, Chris, grilled this for us last night. You used that, right? I used that perforated pan. And you know what the other thing I did is I, instead of going back inside to the stove, I took that pan with the onions and bacon and I put it right on the grill, on a hot spot on the grill. So I did it all together right there. On the spot. Okay. That's a great idea. But to get some girls, of course, have side burners, and you can yeah, do that's the even, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's my fifth so, Weber grill. So anyway, <laughs> when you do these steaks, you're doing them over direct heat, and you're going to put the lid down so that it is closed. And it is really hard for those of us who cook at home because we're constantly wanting to look. It's like a lid on a pan. You want to look to see is it done, Chris? I have a thing on my one of my grills that says no peaking. <laughs> How come? Because, because you happened? let the you let, let the, the heat right, out. Jamie, you the let the heat out. out. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we've got this recipe at our website, foodschmooze.org. If you are not a beef eater and you want to do something with chicken, and you have been dying to try, or maybe you're an old hand at this, we're going to tell you right now how to do hickory smoked beer can chicken. This is really just fun. I love this because when you've got that chicken sitting up on, you know, beer can or whatever kind of can you want to use, the liquid inside that can is infusing the meat of the chicken under your grill. I do this at home. It's so much fun, and it's really delicious. That beer is is getting into the meat, and it's just providing a, a moist environment so that you end up with a really juicy chicken in the end. And what are you putting on the chicken as a kind of rub? For this particular recipe, I start with what's called a dry brine. You know, normally you think of a brine being a a salt water solution. This is just salt on the chicken to season it up a couple hours ahead of time. It improves the skin and it improves the flavor of the meat. What does that mean, it improves the skin? So it actually dries out the skin because Mm. we like a crispy chicken skin, right? So it pulls Um, the moisture out. It pulls the moisture out. It tightens up that skin so that when you go to cook it, it becomes crispier. Salt also penetrates down into the meat a little bit deeper. I mean, let's face it, chicken by itself can sometimes be a little, eh, you know, a little underwhelming in flavor. So this uh, gets you some saltiness down underneath the skin and into the meat. Okay. So it's great if you can do that, if you have the time. If you don't, just salt the bird and, and yeah. you know, go right away. But after I do the dry brining, then I add a, a traditional sort of barbecue spice rub with onion powder and paprika, uh, light brown sugar, and some pepper. Sprinkle that throughout, including inside, with a little smear of some olive oil so that uh, it cooks. That sounds uh, he, amazing. He, he, yeah, seriously. But here's the question. I've always wondered this. Why inside the bird? What does that sprinkling inside the bird do? Well, it gets the seasoning closer to that meat toward the inside, along the, the rib cage, um, mm-hmm. particularly. 
Hmm. Makes that meat taste better. Okay. Where does the beer can come in is your question, right? So you open, if you've never done this, okay. So you open. This is the best part coming up. I wish we had a video of the action in the room right now. So you open the beer. You pour out about two-thirds of it. Pour, pour out. out. Pour, pour in. out. Pour in. Pour in. This is a guy thing. Pour, pour in the, the beer. No, it's not a in, guy in, thing. You no, know, the well, beer so part. Sexist. you got to drink the beer. You don't waste. We don't waste. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We're so not you wasters use, on this you show. Use a tr- a church key um, can opener, and you make two more holes in the top of the can. And then you place that can on a solid surface, and you lower the cavity of the chicken mm-hmm. over the can. So what's going to happen is that that can, with the chicken sitting on top, is going to go inside your grill. So the beer that's in that can is going to infuse the Steam, meat. Yeah. Some mm. people... Add things to that beer. I, for instance, will pour all the beer out or drink the Mm. beer or get another can, and I put on the inside things like white wine and orange juice and garlic, and I do a kind of, you know, South American thing. You can do whatever you want with that beer. You could put um, pieces of chorizo Palacios, uh, chorizo. You you do all that. You put garlic and anything you want. You can just fool around in there. But we have the recipe at our website, foodschmooze.org. This is Jamie Provience. Weber's Greatest Hits is his cookbook, Working with mm-hmm. Weber, Grill People. And we just thought this was great for Father's Day, for the, the increasing numbers of women who are starting to grill or have been grilling for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, I love this. I think this is a real, <laughs> this is a win, and it's so much fun, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Well, it's a great party recipe. It tastes great, but it also looks great. Everybody mm-hmm. gets a laugh out of this chicken literally standing <laughs> up on the grill uh, on a beer can. It's what, just What keeps ridiculous. it from falling over? Well, it doesn't fall over because you've got kind of a tripod situation where the can is one leg and then the two legs of the chicken are the other two pods of the tripod. I should say that there are now poultry roasters that mimic this situation. I I have that. I have one of those. And they, they leave space for the can of beer. In that poultry well, they, roaster, yes, they yeah. have an, in a liquid, you know, thing in the center of it. That's what I have, and it really does work. It's really great. So I if would, you don't have I a beer say, can, I was intimidated the first time I did this, Jamie. I don't know what I was intimidated by. The chicken standing up on its own under the lid, or well, would it or, fit? Would it yeah. fit? Would it fall over? Would it's the beer put the fire out if it fell over? What? It, what? But once you do it once, I'm telling you, it's the easiest thing. When you open that lid, it's a wow factor. So, Jamie, what I want to know is the chicken juices are falling into that can of beer. Then what do you do with that with the juice that's in the can once you take the chicken off? Are you using it in some way? No, its job is is done. Uh, I wouldn't use that in any way. No gravy okay. or no. Because uh, I, that's an interesting idea. I've never tried it. Uh, I do want to mention that it's important that there not be too much beer in there. Uh, I also want to endorse the idea of pouring that beer into a glass and then into your mouth. <laughs> Thank you. But mm-hmm. The thing about the quantity of beer in the can is if you use too much, it takes too long for it to get hot and steam and give you that aromatic effect that you're after. 
And mm-hmm. that's it, why you want to bring it down to mm-hmm. a third or a quarter of a can. So I think we should do a dessert, and that is your pineapple upside down cake. Ooh. I love pineapple upside down cake. This recipe has gotten so many good reviews when it appeared in your last book. And this thing where you flip a pineapple upside down cake over, it's a crucial moment and things can fall apart and all that. So Jamie figured this thing out where you've got a topping of fresh pineapple or from a can, which I like, butter, dark brown sugar, whipping cream, and ground cinnamon. Then there's this batter. Mm. So very quickly, how do these two things come together? The pineapple and that butter and sugar mixture Mm -hmm. goes down into a pan initially, uh, and then the batter goes on top, and then you just bake the whole thing Mm. like you would in an oven, but you're doing it on the grill. Yeah. And I should mention that the pineapple is grilled first, so it develops the beautiful... Uh, flavor, and also appearance. You get those gorgeous stripes on the pineapple, which is really nice when, at the end, you invert this whole thing, and that's what faces your guests. So this skillet is going over the indirect heat, and the lid gets closed on your grill, right? And that's what bakes the cake part. You cut around the edges of the cake once it's cooked, Right. Now you're, you're coming up to the ta-da moment where you're, you're going to get the cake out of the pan. Let it cool for a little bit because you've got hot sugar sort of boiling away. Rub a knife around the perimeter just to loosen up anything that might be sticking. And then you put a platter on top, like a round platter ideally, that's a little bit bigger than the skillet you've cooked it in. And you invert the entire thing. If you're religiously oriented, I suppose you say a prayer. And you, <laughs> But I, you know, I've done this probably 100 times, and I think it's worked 95 out of 100, because you've got this beautiful buttery, uh, sugary mixture that's sort of the lubricant that allows this thing to release. You take away that inverted pan, and ta-da, there's this gorgeous cake underneath. There is something about caramelized mm. pineapple oh, yeah. sugar. with that cake, all brown oh. sugar. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Agreed. So out of thing. This is at our website, foodschmooze.org, including information about this book, 125 Recipes for Every Grill. It's called Weber's Greatest Hits. Our guest, the man in charge of these recipes, Jamie Perviance. Jamie, thank you so much for being a part of the Food Schmooze Party. You are very welcome. It's been a pleasure, Faith, and all of you. Thanks for indulging in this great (laughs) adventure, right? Thanks, Faith. Okay. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, I hope you'll listen for my 60-second Food Schmoozes. You know our slogan, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to my Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food